0: 651-1320-WILS. Uh, well, we talked a bit about this yesterday, but this new study on the effects of concussion is really shocking. Something like 110 out of 111 brains of former NFL football players showing signs of degeneration because of, of concussions. Dr. Brandon Brock with us, an expert on brain health at Cerebrum Health Centers. Cerebrum.com. Dr. Brock, great to have you on WILS.
1: Hey, it's good to be here.
0: Yeah, is this? I mean, you've been dealing with these issues for so many years. Is this in any way surprising to you? This latest study?
1: I mean, it seems like we have this conversation a lot. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's just it's just kind of just showing the same theme, same pattern, and you know, really what we kind of already know. But there's more and more people that are now kind of jumping on the bandwagon of doing studies to really demonstrate: is this reproducible? Is it something that's valid? Is it something that we know for a fact and not just one study here that they're showing it. It appears that every single study that they're doing just kind of keeps repeating the same finding. Mm.
0: So basically what any kind of hit to the head is just bad to your brain, you're going to be causing some kind of damage. Is that is that what we're to take away here?
1: No, I don't, I don't think we're to take away that any hit. To, I mean, look, any hit to the head or that causes brain issues is bad, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get CTE. Um but I would definitely say that repeated damage, like a football player over the course of their lifespan, if they make it to the NFL, you can only imagine how many hits to the head they've taken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the repetitive stress is probably a big factor. And then I would say that getting those big, big, big knocks you know, more frequent than not is also contributing to it as well. And I think the study really shows, this study is kind of interesting because it shows that the higher-level athletes are probably more at risk, and it also shows that there might be a little bit of selection bias because the brains that were donated were people who were suspected of having it already anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's going to need to be more studies comparing that population to another population of people who maybe died incidentally and didn't have a lot of symptoms that right. they show signs of it as well.
0: Now, Did, did you play football yourself at any point?
1: Did a little bit in high school. Uh, I was a gymnast. I kind of did that sport, which didn't turn out to be any safer for me.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? Did did you take some some hits as a gymnast?
1: I actually had a a neck fracture. Oh, did you? Okay. It turned out to be okay, but actually I did have a head injury uh, because at one point in time I was a stuntman and Mm. had a head injury bad enough to lose vision in one of my eyes for about – Forty-five minutes. Oh wow! So that was not cool.
0: That sounds frightening. And then it just what well, came back slowly but surely. Or...
1: Yeah, it did. As the concussion resolved, I started seeing better again. But it was yeah. it was a, a terrifying experience. You know, it's one of the things that got me into the field of neuroscience because I was so interested in you know my own situation, and it just kind of it kind of puzzled me how I could lose something and then get it back. But you also start thinking to yourself, what is going to be you know, my what's going to happen to me down the line, and what can I do to, to make myself healthy enough to not have you know complications.
0: Talking to Doctor Brandon Brock with Cerebrum Health Centers, uh, I want to ask you about John McCain. that he was diagnosed with brain with a brain, he had a brain tumor, It was cancerous. They took huh? it out of his head. What um, do we know why these things happen? Like what what actually causes that to, to happen in the brain?
1: Well, you know, he has a glioblastoma, a really, really aggressive type of tumor. It's the one that, uh, if you remember back, uh, Ted Kennedy had, you know, that he passed away from. And it's one of those that's, it's super aggressive. We don't really, I mean, there's probably all kinds of theories out there on why these develop, but we don't know for sure exactly why they do. Which is kind of a, it's a, that's kind of a nuisance because then it's hard to do stuff that's preventative. Uh, you know, we know it's just very unfortunate. Uh-huh. So so basically totally there, there
0: is it. no clear theory we just it just happens and too bad is that is that how it is
1: Yeah to my knowledge there's not really a, a clear theory I mean there's all kinds of people out there with ideas but I don't think there's anything mm-hmm. proven with any clear you know, just just clear, concise. This is what happens. I mean, mm. we understand the physiology of the cell types that are involved, but not exactly why they go haywire.
0: Yeah. The the whole cell phone thing. Since we're on the brain tumor, uh, do you have a a position on cell phone use and having this the phone against your head?
1: Well, I, I you know, there's again conf- conflicting research. You know, of course, there's I'm sure there's a lot of politics behind this, but. I can't really say for sure if it's good or bad. I know. I know. I can give you two things. I keep my phone away from two of the most important areas of my body as much as I can, and that's my head and my growing region.
0: Okay. And, and and you do that because of what? what why? Why do you do that?
1: <laughs> well, because what if some of the research about cell phones being detrimental is correct? You know, I don't really want to be on the bat. You know, I don't want to be looking in hindsight saying, "Man, I wish I would have." kept my phone away from my body, and, yeah. you know. Did, I mean, does it make sense more. as
0: a brain, as a brain expert yourself, does it make sense to you that these cell signals would somehow have an effect on the brain in particular?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it does, it, you got to understand something. something it, it definitely makes sense to me from a scientific perspective. I don't know if it proves out from a scientific method perspective, mm-hmm. but... There's enough there that makes me a little bit leery. Like I don't like carrying my cell phone in my pocket. I usually carry it in my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, if I got to talk on it, I talk on it, but I try not to. I try not to overuse it. Right now,
0: with with John McCain, I mean, they they just went in, pulled this uh, thing tumor out, and he seemed to be just fine. Is that usually how it goes?
1: Well, you know, he's really fortunate. I got to be honest with you. You know, he had some aggressive family doctors that really kind of just took some symptoms and said, you know what. What are the possibilities here? And they went ahead and imaged. And there's a lot of doctors that might not have done imaging on somebody that had his symptoms, but they saw what looked like a bleed. And this type of tumor is very vascular, so it, of course, looked like a bleed. And then when they went in there and they did a pathological analysis on it, they found out it was, you know, of course, this tumor type. And, you know, they were able to take it out, but you kind of got to understand a a glioblastoma, it kind of like. It's speculated, so just because you get a mass out doesn't mean it hasn't spread throughout other areas, Mm -hmm. just in individual cells, so there's really no way to get the entire thing out, so now he's going to have to deal with, well, what are we going to do after the surgery? I mean, the surgery was an awesome success, and I think Mm -hmm. his surgeons are amazing, and I think John McCain has really showed a lot of grit but now the question is going to be what are we going to do to keep this thing from growing back aggressively and killing the rest of the cell types that might be involved.
0: Interesting. So, is there really anything you can do at that point other than pull the tumor out?
1: Well, you can pull the tumor out and then, you know, there's options for chemo or radiation or, yeah. you know, whatever his his doctors and family elect to do, but mm-hmm you know, they're probably going to have to do something or else the prognosis gets even worse.
0: Yeah, and what's, uh, is that, because what he said, he apparently felt kind of tired and a little hazy, right? He wasn't thinking, he wasn't quite as crisp as he felt. Is that, is that a typical kind of uh, symptom?
1: Yeah, I mean, but, you know, when you think about it, it's like that that could be signs and symptoms of, God, you know, a thousand different <laughs> Anything, things. Anything, so, right. You don't just, you don't just, yeah, you don't just go get a brain MRI because you feel a little bit tired, especially when you're a little bit older. I mean, we know John McCain is not, you know, super young, but I mean, it's, you know, he's getting a little older. It's understandable. He's, you know, a busy guy. God knows what kind of business he's dealing with right now. You know, with, uh, you know, all the political matters that are going on. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me if he was just tired just from his job. But I wouldn't say that everybody that feels a little bit tired or hazy has to have an MRI of the head.
0: We're talking to Dr. Brandon Brock, expert in brain healthy at Cerebrum Health Centers. Find him at Cerebrum.com. It is Dr. Brandon Brock, right here on 1320 WILS. Dr. Brock, it's been, as always, very enlightening. Thank you very much.
1: Yes, thank you, sir. Have a great day.
0: You too. And that is it for us.
2: In the meantime, we've been talking about the uh, problem with football players who end up with brain damage as a result of their playing football. And there's a study out there that says 99% have brain damage. And Dr. Brandon Brock joins us right now uh, from the Cerebrum Health Centers. And Dr. Brock, it's actually not 99% that have them, but 99% of this study because these were the brains of uh, former football players who had passed away and had been donated and you got to figure that those who donated those brains felt certain that their loved one had some kind of uh, brain damage.
1: Yeah, we think there's probably some selection bias, but even if there is selection bias, it's still a pretty high percentage of those yeah. who were donated. I mean, it's it's still, I think, conclusive enough to say that it's still going in the same direction as all the other studies of saying... You know, this is a a common thread that you're seeing in in high-impact sports.
2: Well, I saw there were some high school players in here as well. What was the difference in severity between, let's say, a high school player and somebody in the NFL?
1: Well, I think, I believe, there was a a greater percentage in those that were in higher-level playing than there was in lower-level playing. And And we're not saying that everybody that plays football is going to get chronic traumatic encephalopathy. But it looks like the the more aggressive you get, the longer you play, the more repetition that you get, that there's probably going to be a greater probability, especially at the higher-end athlete level you know that we're seeing in the NFL.
2: Well, the one thing we're seeing, so many players with it today, but if you look back, uh, they were playing at a time, most of them, when you didn't have the kind of equipment you have today because there has been a great deal done to improve the helmets on the players and the padding and everything else of of late. This has happened of late. And does this mean that there will be uh, a lot fewer players who are suffering from brain damage in the future, or have we got a long way to go before we get to that?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but one of the best concussion papers written, at least voted as written for the, you know, being the best paper for the year was a comparison of all the helmets and it basically summarized that they all failed miserably. Um, And I don't know exactly all the details on that, and I don't want to put a helmet company in a bad situation, but it doesn't look like helmets protect people from from head injuries, because you've still got a jelly-like brain matter that's floating around inside your skull, and a helmet only protects the outside. When you hit something and you abruptly stop, that brain is still gonna move around. So the technology, no matter how good, really is is super limited because there's no way you can wrap something around the inside of your skull, around your brain. You know, you can protect the outside of your skull from having fractures and stuff like that, but it's we know that helmets are self-limiting.
2: You have to look at uh, other factors, though, I think, too. If you look at players in the 1960s and then you just look at players now, the players have evolved. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at the players in the 1960s, they had leather helmets on. Would you use your head if you had a leather helmet on?
2: Uh, well, I played before the 60s. We didn't have leather helmets. but
1: or, or, you know, or different. I mean, maybe the face guards were different. Oh, maybe. yeah, we didn't have
2: face guards.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, is that if you don't have good protection on your head, you don't use it as much. Now, if I say, look, this helmet is amazing. Go out and use your head as a weapon you use it more. And so look at rugby players. They don't use their head near as much. They don't have near the concussions and the problems that we do. I I would say that the greater the supposed helmet technology is, there's a possibility that it could lead people into a false sense of security.
2: Well, I, I'm wondering if this means an end to football. Are we going to end up with tag football? Uh, are we going to end up with um – well, touch football, that kind of thing. Sissy football What's going is gonna to to happen?
1: <laughs> I don't think it's going to mean the end. I think it's going to mean this. Players have to have informed consent, just like a smoker does, you know, and with lung cancer. I mean, it's going to turn out to where if you play professional football, you know the risks and you know, evidently, the statistics and the odds that you're going to end up with some sort of neurological disorder down the road if you take enough hits. And so – I think that people just need to know what they're getting into. There'll be a disclaimer
2: they, on the on the helmet saying you could die from this sport. <laughs> yeah, and and as Jeff pointed out too, what about boxing and MMA, where I mean they're just bashing a guy's head constantly. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, boxing we've known this forever. I mean, this is it's not it wouldn't be new news in boxing, but with MMA, you know, there's been a couple of reports out already showing it in in some of their fighters and. I got to tell you, they've got to be a little bit nervous about this as are all contact sports. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just waiting for the first autopsy to come through on one of their, you know, people. One one quick thing
2: before we run out of time, Dr. Brock, any possibility that you could find a cure for this down the road?
1: There's an easy cure. Don't play.
2: Well, I mean, so in other words, there's not going to be a medical cure.
1: Well, I mean, there may be someday and we of course all hope for that, but, we, we have to say that prevention might be the best thing for a while or, you know, again, if you change the rules too much, it's really not football anymore. So it's not that we want to see that. It's just, you know, hoping for a medical cure when there's a way to prevent it is, is there's, is kind of a paradigm that you got to think about. But Uh, I got to win my money on on Sundays.
2: Well, Dr. Brandon Brock, Cerebrum Health Centers. We appreciate your joining us on AM Tampa Bay.